Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to a musical journey like no other, giving you an in-depth, invigorating, and exclusive look at the newest Smashing Pumpkins concept album, Autumn. This is 33 with William Patrick Corgan, and this is the 14th step on this interstellar musical expedition. If it's your first time listening to 33, welcome. If you've been with us since the very beginning, thanks for being fans. Thanks for tuning in. On this episode, like almost every episode of 33, we're going to have a world premiere of a song from the album Autumn. This time, the song is titled Neophyte. As always, we're going to be breaking down the story, the lyrics, the melody of the song with Smashing Pumpkins frontman Billy Corgan. We're also diving into classic tracks from the Billy Corgan catalog. On this episode, we're listening to and analyzing The Hidden Sun of the 2020 album Seer. And I'll get the name of the album right here, but there might be a little fumble later on in the episode. Stay tuned for that. That song, along with Neophyte, features the guest on today's episode of 33, an incredible vocalist and musician who's been working with the Smashing Pumpkins since 2014. Katie Cole will be joining us to talk a little bit about how special the Spirits on Fire tour was compared to other tours, what it's like to be in the studio with Billy, and her experiences of being a woman in the music industry. Also flying high with us on this journey is my friend and broadcast partner, Kyle Davis, who is surviving being very sick right now. How, how are you feeling, Kyle? I was going to say not so much flying high, but just like 
dog paddling and trying to stay afloat. Uh, sinus pressure, just coughing, sneezing. I've sweated through my shirt. This is fantastic. Guys, take care of yourself. You've only got one body. And unless we start doing cloning, then you'll have more. You know, everything you said was so everything you said was so repugnant until you got to sweating through your shirt. And then it kind of, kind of gave me an erotic image of you all swole up, sort of I haven't worked out, out in so. a week. Somehow you turned a negative into a positive. <laughs> yeah, which that's is the very sexiest Kyle version of Kyle is Jim Kyle, Clang and Bang Kyle. I've seen that Kyle. I mean, that Kyle is definitely going through a midlife crisis. And you know who's not going through a midlife crisis, though? The WPC 33 Me. podcast, folks. If you're a neophyte, if you're somebody who's just new to the podcast, thanks for joining us. 14 episodes and I'm glad you finally found it. Make sure you're using the hashtag WPC33 spelled out on social media as we want to hear from you. We want to make sure that we have this dialogue going on. Also, the world is a vampire festival. Everybody's still talking about it. Coming up, Mexico City, March 4th. And also, Billy, right now, you're recording new music. Here we are, podcast for an album that hasn't even been released yet, and you're already moving on. How the heck do you create so much? Well, I usually uh, akin it to insanity. Um my kids are very upset with me because I'm not home for Christmas decorating time. Um, yeah, I don't know. I do question my sanity uh, recording so much music, but I do feel that there is a window of opportunity here. And uh, it's not just related to age. I think it has to do with the way energy works. And the band is amassing a certain kind of energy, which is very rare and very, very hard to do. And uh, we're blessed in that the fans are rallying around what we're doing. And it's lifting us to new heights. And look, when people say to us, I've seen you 17 times going back to 1992, and this is the best the band's ever sounded. Trust me, that gives us motivation to keep working hard. And we do want to get the musical component, meaning the new musical component, as on target as we can in this particular era of the band. So it does inspire us and it does make us go to the mat one more time. We feel very blessed to be here and even have the opportunity to make music uh, one thing that needs to be put out there and we need to be mindful of is we've had an incredible opportunity to always express ourselves with great producers, great videos, and you know, 34, 35 years in, still be able to record in the best studios in the world, have every opportunity to express ourselves. And so if we get it done, great. And if we don't, well, there's no one else to blame because we have every opportunity. Humility isn't always the best word to use with a rock and roll band. But this is about as humble as we get as far as feeling like this is a great place to be in. And so we're very thankful. And we're thankful. And I'm you're thankful here we listening. got a brand new track to talk about, Neophyte. And I had some theories. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a Kyle here. I'm gonna throw out my theory. I feel like this song is coming from after we listened to Empires and the message got out and was disseminated to the people. I almost feel like this song is coming from the perspective of the people that heard that song and got that message. Am I really off base? Yeah, oh, man. You're off base. This song is sung by June, who's still in space and is kind of taking a little bit of a backseat on the story as all of this other stuff is playing out. So now we're back to June up in space. Remember, as I talked about previously, everybody in space in the exile position, which June was in exile uh, along with Shiny, their spacecraft has a television that's continually on. They can mute the sound, but they can't turn the television off. So June's totally aware of what's happening vis-a-vis Shiny's virtual personality, which she left behind in her treasure chest, which um, Osira and Nighthawk found and, and implanted into the robot Ruby. So, and how does June know what's happening down on Earth vis-a-vis Shiny's pure consciousness? 
because she sees the reverse propaganda put out on the network that she's forced to watch daily, which is a propagandist arm of the world administration, related, of course, to the X and I, who's in charge of all this stuff. And she sees those forces backspinning against Chinese message, uh, at least Chinese pure message put out on social media vis-a-vis Ruby. So she sees them backspinning, and she knows that a domino has fallen, and the opportunity to achieve the real shiny from space is now very real. So Neophyte is not only her reaction to being proven right yet again, and her sense of destiny as it relates to shiny being confirmed, but she makes a tremendous and incredible decision where she decides in a peak of uh, optimism or insanity, to use the same word, she decides herself to take the March of Life and she punches in their code and her spacecraft breaks orbit. So now we've got two characters that are on the, the March of Life and are deciding to make the transition, whatever that may be, going on into the next stage of life. But ask yourself, okay, right, but ask yourself why she's doing it. Well, you could be thinking that it's, no, you got, well, <laughs> this is an silence. interesting question, because is it is it the obsession with Shiny and following those steps, or is it that the job that she's taken up in space is now complete in that people have been disseminated this information that was held back from them, and there's a sense of accomplishment moving forward? If you knew that someone you loved was trapped in a burning building and you were on the street, does it make sense to run into the burning building? Yeah. Okay, well, she's running into the burning building. But is June on the march of life to to terminate herself, or is she trying to catch up? No. And stop him? She knows Shiny is whirling towards his death, and so in a moment of pure emotional rationalization, she would rather be near than far. And there's one more step to this particular moment in the story, which, of course, no one can anticipate, including June. All the other ships that are in exile, let's say there are 4,000 or 6,000. Let's just say there's a lot of ships up there. They're all watching the same television program. So they're aware that something is happening on Earth as it relates to one of their fellow exiles. They, in a sort of a moment of rare and earnest rebellion, decide to follow June, and they all punch in the March of Life. So all the ships start moving. Wow, so you have all of these people that are now moving on away from Earth towards the sun, all of these people that were considered too dangerous to be on Earth, and then they were exiled up there. It's, it, we're getting into really interesting, what, what would the X and I do to respond to that type of action, if, if there is anything that there is? That's, you're, you're dead on, see? This is why I love you. You're dead on. Because now, in organic moment, a woman's love for a man, however crazy that is, has inspired her to do something completely irrational. And in her irrationality, she inspired a whole host of other people who are up there in totally different circumstances for different reasons to say, you know what? I'm with her in this. I'm not going to sit here and take this anymore. In essence, we're all going to do the most irrational thing. When people talk about governmental control, we must all remember And this goes to why Martin Luther King was probably the most pivotal person in American life in the 20th century. When you do the thing that doesn't make any sense, but you do it at the right moment, that's the thing that breaks the dam wide open. What June does is she creates an energy to inspire others to do something that's completely irrational. 
why would you all decide to take the March of Life simultaneously? Well, we shouldn't be up here in the first place. We're only up here because everybody on Earth has sort of agreed to it. Now we're going to create a dynamic where this must be dealt with. In essence, the irrationality of us being up here can only be dealt with vis-a-vis an irrational act. But it's inspired by an organic act. It's not like anybody sat there and drew this up on a piece of paper. It just happened, like a domino falls and a domino falls, and the next thing you know. So when we look at the irrationality of governmental control, we have to remember, and I'm speaking as an American here, and we all sit there sometimes around the coffee table and we go, can you believe this? Can you believe that? Did you see this meme? Doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you're on. Sometimes we have to remember that by sitting at our coffee table, instead of protesting or logging off or refusing to sign the terms of service on a particular service that we know is spying on all our data, well, that's our consent decree. And when we collectively stop agreeing, well, there's no force in the world that can stop that. And that's why some of the social movements of recent times really do have a point. You reach a point where you say enough is enough, enough insanity. My issue is usually has to do with the hypocrisy of not applying that ideology across the board. I talked about it a lot in the in the wake of the shooting in Highland Park, uh, which we've spoken about here and which was a complete tragedy in my home community. What was the debate immediately after this horrific act? Well, there was talk about gun control. There was talk about the mental health of the person who shot innocent people. There were talk, There was talk about what would have been the signs. There was talk about what kind of drugs was he on, um, probably legal. I use these things not to wade into that particular debate, but to illustrate the point that we all at some level, whether we want to accept it or not, accept the insanity of the world on a daily basis. And when we stop accepting the insanity of the world on a daily basis, we actually might find the world will change. I think that's a good note to go out on. When we come back, you'll be hearing the world premiere of the song Neophyte. And Katie Cole joins the program. This is 33 with William Patrick Corgan. Stay tuned. Now available for pre-order at MadamZuzus.com. The autographed 4LP box set of Autumn, the new album by The Smashing Pumpkin. This 4LP colored vinyl pressing is limited to 1,333 units and will be machine numbered and autographed by The Smashing Pumpkins. Billy Corrigan, Jimmy Chamberlain, James Eha, and Jeff Schroeder. The limited edition box set includes the three-act, 33-song rock opera that is Autumn and 10 exclusive unreleased songs over the course of five seven-inch singles that will not be available for streaming or found anywhere else. Go to MadamZuzus.com to pre-order today. Free shipping in the USA. Three-unit limit for order. Pre-order will ship after April 21st, 2023. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. 
That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome back to the 33 Podcast. This is William Patrick Corgan reporting to you. If you said to me, pick one song off the Autumn album that you think will endure and be considered amongst your best work, and I mean all my work, I would put Neophyte at the top of the list of the songs off the Autumn which will endure. I'm not saying it's a hit song. I'm saying will endure. Because when you look at a catalog as voluminous as mine, good and bad, There are those songs which are hits, there are those songs which are classics, and there are those songs which endure, which still manage to make their way onto playlists, and people still want to hear you play them live. So that was one of the reasons we played this song live on the recent tour, Spirits on Fire. Sorry, I was lost for the name for a second, because I believe in this song. It took me a hot second to get Howard to not make the frowny face, which we'll talk about later in the podcast, but he eventually came around. This is Neophyte. It ain't right, it ain't right, it ain't right, oh it ain't right, feel it's time, or oh, LA, don't you 
Welcome back to 33. Ladies and gentlemen, you just listened to the world premiere of Neophyte. And it is my absolute pleasure to introduce the guest to today's show, Katie Cole. Katie, welcome to 33. Thank you so much for having me on the show. (laughs) Now, Katie, you're all over this album and you're on this song in particular. So let's jump back a little bit. For those who don't know, a lot of Smashing Pumpkins fans, of course, know you from uh, not only touring with the Smashing Pumpkins, but of course, uh, we've worked together for years, and you've also opened for me acoustically, so our relationship goes way back. I, can you remember when we first met year-wise, I'm, I, maybe 10 years ago, eight years ago? Yeah, I'm trying to remember when I first met you. It would have been about 10 years ago, but the first show I did opening for you was 2014 at Ravinia. Right. For those who wouldn't know, and I highly recommend you follow Katie's uh, socials, and Katie, you should give those um, before we, you get off here. Katie's a singer-songwriter from Australia. And we've known each other for years. And as we've gotten to know each other and work together more, Katie's become a pivotal part on doing uh, background vocals and arranging for the Smashing Pumpkins last few albums and has done a super bang up job. So I don't even know where to dive in. I mean, let's just start with the tour because that's the sort of most recent thing. You were on that crazy tour we were just on, the Spirits (laughs) on Fire tour. Um, Maybe let people, uh, the band tends not to talk much about the tour, but you're free to talk about the tour. So um, talk about the tour in your estimation. Well, I'm trying to think of how many tours I've done with the band now. It's got to be five, six, seven, somewhere up there because it started with, uh, you know, obviously in Plain Song, a couple of those tours. Shiny. This one was just a whole other kettle of fish. I feel like it was the most uh, fluid tour, even though like crazy things happen on the road, but I feel like the band has sounded the best on this tour than it ever has. I've never seen all of us interacting on stage in such a relaxed way before. It really just feels like a family band now. (laughs) I don't even even know how to put that. That's very accurate. That's the way I feel. I mean, I've obviously been there since the beginning when it was just the OG4. I think something that I uh, fought to do, it wasn't necessarily fought to do behind the scenes. I think I fought to do was to create an atmosphere. And I talked about it a few times in the past, but I think people didn't really understand what I meant is moving the band from an original lineup to more of a collective mind where different artists could come in and out, not necessarily be in the band, but contribute to the band and really bring value and musical experience and a different voice, not just literal voice, but like a different sort of vibe and opinion. And I think you uh, hit the nail on the head with that. I think our friendship, our knowing each other, everybody in the band knowing you as a person and you becoming part of the greater Smashing Pumpkins family, I think you see that play out on stage where collectively we, we can come together under the banner of the Smashing Pumpkins and play new songs and old songs. And it's very, very comfortable. There's no sort of delineating line on stage like, well, this is the original band and you're not in that band. And there's none of that. You, I think you see that quite closely. Am I saying that accurately for you in terms yeah, of experience? Ab- absolutely. I mean, obviously, my only connection to what the band would have been like in its original lineup live is obviously looking on the internet and finding video clips of this and that, which I often do, especially when learning or practicing before tours to be like, you know, how did they perform it during this era? Well, how did they perform their song during that era? Because it helps me sort of understand all the iterations that a song has sort of taken place. Like it just helps me understand the band in a bigger sense. But I think that's a really accurate way of putting it. And obviously, being part of the recording process is such a different thing to be able to perform these songs live, knowing that I've had, you know, I've played a small role in the studio too. And songs like Neophyte, hearing you sing them 
sing songs like that live, which are, I don't know how you make these songs sound easy when you sing them. They're not. The amount of range that you use during a live show is like no one else I've ever worked with. You are in belt range, you're in falsetto range, you're in this really low register. And a lot of the time, all of those ranges can appear in one song. And Neophyte is one of those songs for me, like, because you've got like the big sort of the deep voice part of the song, then all of a sudden you're up there. And a lot of the time I'll be on stage with you and I'll just be like, how are you doing this? And then I'll be like, oh, don't forget your part at the same time. Well, funny you mention that because in my (laughs) travails here recently with being ill, I had to go see some voice doctors to try to be able to sing. And the doctor in LA um, did the thing where he ran a camera down my uh, throat to look at my vocal cords. And I've probably seen four or five of these people through the years. And uh, he's the top guy in LA and his walls are littered with people far more famous than I am. He took some video of my vocal cords and uh, slowed the video down and, and said, oh, this is really weird. And I, you know, when anybody says that to you at a doctor, you go, okay, what does that mean? This isn't going in the right direction. And he said, you have the voice box of a nine-year-old boy. He said, it's a weird anomaly that certain singers have, and they tend to be rock singers. And I said, okay, well, what does that really mean? And he named some other famous names who have a similar thing. I, I don't feel at liberty to say who those people are. He said it means you can sing um, high at power without it going into falsetto. He said that's why you can sing rock all night, because you literally have the voice of a child, but you're an adult male. It's very strange. No one had ever told me that. But it does explain that ability to be able to, to rock sing at a high high level and not have to break into falsetto, because every, as everyone knows, at some point when you're a teenager, your voice breaks. When my voice broke, I thought, oh, it's over because I had this really kind of angelic voice. I was basically a soprano when I was a child. I guess um, mezzo, I, there's, a, there's a name for it that, that um, when males are sopranos, there's sort of a weird opera name for it. So when I, my voice broke, I thought, oh, and my voice got really weird. My voice was more in my throat. And if you listen to early Smashing Pumpkins recordings, my voice sort of sounds like it's more in my throat. Anyway, that's probably too much information for everybody here. No, it's it's amazing to hear that, though, because it makes complete sense of how you're able to do what you do. It puts a scientific sort of label on top of why you're able to ex- – Exactly, the, <laughs> the insanity that is your voice. Now a professional has gone, well, it's because of this. And you're like, yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. I didn't thank, thank you, mommy and daddy. Let's talk a little bit about, I can't remember the first time I approached you about actually singing on a Smashing Pumpkins record. Can you, can re- can you recall that? Well, we'd worked together on your solo album, Cotillions. And I know that like that may have been like a precursor to working on pumpkin stuff. Like I can't remember whether I worked on anything on monuments at all. Like I feel like I was I was sort of in I was in the ether at that point, but I don't know. I feel know. like I asked you some questions. It was like something yes. like, "Can you give me some advice?" So I think that's what it was. It was a little bit of advice. That was probably the door opening. And yeah, we did work together on Cotillions, my overlooked yes. solo album. There's your plug for the day. Oh, I love that. I love that album. I, I love, love that album so that. much. And that's going to be one of those albums where ten years from now in airports, people are going to come and say, "How did I not know this album existed?" So if exactly. you haven't heard the Cotillions album. I think we have a few available through madamzuzu.com. And of course, it's on streaming services. But yeah, I think at some point I settled on this idea. I think it was during the Sear album that I was going to need to lean on your your ability as a vocal arranger because there was so much work on the Sear album, 20 songs and all, um, which sounds trite compared to the current 33. And I think we talked, you know, on a sort of professional capacity with the idea, can you come in and do this? And together, and but more so you than I, we were able to craft a very unique vocal vision on the on the Sear album. And today's 
throwback track is The Hidden Sun, which you feature heavily on. I know it's a song you and Howard Willing, the producer, like a lot. I guess talk about that process, because I like to, if you've heard any of the other podcasts with other people in our world, Jeff being last, I like to kind of give an open forum because there's been so much chatter through the years about how I am in the studio. I like to let people sort of talk and tell the world how I really am in the studio, not because it's a defense, but because I think people need to know it's it's a little more complicated than good guy, bad guy. I want to, first of all, give you a little bit of um, a compliment on whether it's in the studio or on the stage. You've never treated me like a woman in the band or a woman in the studio. You've always just treated me like someone to work with and someone that you'll respect my opinion when I, when I give it or my ideas when I give it. That's a really rare thing in this industry. It's a very male-driven industry. So I'm very used to having to speak louder, repeat myself, all that stuff. So first of all, I want to thank you for treating me as an equal. I mean, I know that it's 2022 and like that's a strange thing to be saying, but it's still it still comes to my mind as I want to thank you for that. Working with you on Sia was a, was a very interesting thing because you gave me like this list of here are all the influences that I'm thinking about for background vocals and arrangements. And you were like Queen and The Sweet and, and Bowie. And I was like, I know what that really encapsulates. That's big vocals, stacks, cascading moments, like Fleetwood Mac is overlapping sort of vocals too. So when you said that to me, I was like, okay. So I did my big sort of, you know, listening. I did the big deep dive into listening to a lot of different bands, a lot of different albums, just to sort of get my head in the game, so to speak, and also play the interpretation game because I know that you're not literal about just because you like this and this, you want to do your version of, you know, the pumpkin's version of what that would be, not the actual version of what that would be. So I suppose I started with, I think I'm trying to think of the first couple of songs. I think they were Tiger Tiger and Color of Love. And I did like the build up, the full build up, the full tear down of those songs a couple of times because I didn't feel like I was doing them justice. Um, and Howard also chimed in too and he's like, you're not going far enough with these. So I just went as far as I could go with those songs to build up something where the background vocal parts in the songs would be like an instrument. And sometimes they weave in and out, sometimes they dance around the lead vocals, sometimes they play alongside synth instruments, and sometimes they are sparse. It just depends on what the song needs and what the, um, so that it would also fit in line with the other songs, because they all have to fit together as a group, even though Seal was not a small project by any stretch, it was still 20 songs. <laughs> and that's, that's another thing that this band does a lot of. Not just like reaching for something big, but like, let's do 20 songs. Let's do 33 songs. So I suppose once I got my head wrapped around what this was and you heard like what I was doing with those first couple of songs, and it was a similar process for um, the Autumn album too, but you were more just like, have at it. So we would sit in the studio, like you told me what you were sort of thinking. I didn't really know the story of like the autumn story and like that would have been really helpful, but it didn't change so much. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. I got to understand it as we were in the studio working together. Like you sort of started to sit down and tell me and Sierra the story. And I was like, whoa, this is, <laughs> yeah, this is it's a bit deep. This is, this is big. This is, this is deep. I would temp out like a bunch of these ideas that I had, you know, you'd listen down sort of blank to the song without background vocals. Then we do a listen down with my temp backgrounds in 
you know, you listen again and go, I don't like this. I like this. I like this. And some songs we'd pull apart and rebuild. And some songs it was just a matter of um, carving out like a word here and there so that this would be the form. And then we'd apply that to the other choruses and so forth. So Billy, you know, obviously very hands-on. Yeah, I think you speak to the working model of the band, and that's why I like talking about these things a little bit, because if you read between the lines a little bit of what Katie's saying, in the beginning, it's like, okay, I got this idea. I think Katie can be a contributor in this particular way. We build a relationship and trust, and by the time we get to the autumn album, I'm like, just do your thing. Like, I don't need to sit over your shoulder. And then we work very intimately when we get to the studio part of the process of actually recording the vocals, because there's Katie's parts, there's Sierra's parts, and then occasionally I'm singing backgrounds as well. And I think that's that's where people get kind of lost in it is if you're a band that's taking on these big projects, which we have many times through the years, you at some point you have to delegate sort of a different different levels of responsibility. One thing that people wouldn't necessarily know, and of course you've seen this intimately, is that in the early days of the band, I was working intimately with Jimmy on on drum arrangements. And I would sort of throw out an idea and say to Jimmy, oh, can you play like Bauhaus? Well, Jimmy didn't listen to Bauhaus, so he didn't know what the hell I was saying. So it would be a thing of like, I would be trying to show Jimmy Chamberlain, of all people, how to play a particular drum beat, or I wanted a certain feel. And very early in our relationship, probably in the first couple of years, Jimmy looked at me and said, just tell me what you want, and I'll trust that what you're telling me what you want is going to be good, and I'll just make it better. And so right away, we had this relationship of like, he trusted me that if I had a vision for something that I wasn't going to put him in a weird spot or embarrass him or have him play something that he was going to look back later on and feel uncomfortable with. And I think that's the sort of where it gets kind of difficult sometimes and blurry in there is the wearing of the different hats. Me as the writer, me as the producer, me as the visionary, me as the band member, and having to kind of rotate around at different times. And certainly in contentious moments, having other band members sort of point at me and say, well, that's your opinion. And be like, well, I'm being the producer here, but no, I'm being the writer here. And I think at least now in our, in our mature years, we've all found this really comfortable space of the way to work. And I think you see that contribution. And I actually, in segment three today, I want to talk about some of that. So you've kind of hit on something that I wanted to talk about. So before we turn off the Autumn album, I mean, you, of course, have heard the whole thing. I've hinted that Act 2 is probably the strongest of the acts. What's your sort of general feeling on the scope of the album? Because I think people are still wrapping their head around it. Obviously, we're only about a third of the way through the journey. So if you want to kind of give them a little taste of of the scope of the album. Well, I've actually spoken to Howard Willing a lot about something that the Pumpkins are able to do that no other band is able to do, which is you're able to pivot and like what I was saying before about like background vocals, you might take an influence of this band or that band and bring it into, um, you know, whatever the project is that you're sort of creating. But this band is able to have like a synth sort of heavy song right alongside an absolute rock blazing song. You're able to do that and make it make sense. There really isn't any other band that can say that that they've done that consistently. So people are in for a ride. And they, I mean, I think people know that already from hearing what they've heard so far, (laughs) that it's like, you basically expect the unexpected in a lot of ways, but there are a lot of songs on Act 2, and there's quite a few songs on Act 3 too, which I would consider that people are going to visit and revisit. They feel like they're going to be classic pumpkin songs, and I know which songs I keep circling back to. So for the fans, I think they're going to be in for, I'm not saying you need to listen to these songs lots of times to get it. But 
because there is such an immense body of work, it's really easy to skip over this song or that song and be like, just this one or that one. It's like, you're going to need to play it through right to the end, take the story into mind, or not. If you choose not to, that's fine. The songs can speak for themselves, but take it like a ride. When we were in the studio after the project was sort of essentially finished and you listen down top to bottom and you just sit there with the, I mean, it takes a lot of patience. I learned patience from listening from my mum who used to sit down next to her record player and play on, you know, an entire record through and then be like, I like this song and I like this song. Who wrote that one? Okay, that person. I learned that from her and that made me become a better musician and a better listener. This is a real project you need to listen to. And I think people are going to be blown away just because mm. it does take you here, there, and sort of a bit everywhere. Gets a bit spacey here and there, gets rocky here and there, gets a bit synthy here and there. And there's a lot of unexpected there, but that's what you need to expect from the band. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. That's, that's exciting to hear. I'm, now I'm excited to listen. <laughs> um, the last <laughs> thing I wanted to just talk about with you being on today, again, I highly recommend, I think this would be the perfect time to tell people where they can find you in social. So let's, let's do that now before I forget. Well, you can find me. No, you can find me. Most of my socials are under Katie Cole Official. That's, you know, most of the things are there except for Twitter, which is Katie Cole Music. I'm on the YouTube, so I'm just about everywhere. I do a lot of uh, a lot of videos there. I do some live streams every so often too. I have one coming yeah. up uh, yeah, great next live week stream. as well. So a couple of things I want to touch. Um, it's not because I want to sort of get into this as a sort of thing, but I think it sets a certain context. Um, and you and I've had this, this, these discussions privately. You touched on, and I thank you for the the compliment about how you've always been treated uh, by myself. I've said, I think I said on a prior podcast that to me, when we're together, and I include you in that as a fellow musician, we're just musicians. It's not got anything to do with anything else other than being musicians. And I think the most pedantic thing you can do to a woman in the music business is to treat them differently. I think you... You, you know, it's 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 a rough world in there of just let's get down to working. And I know you're a tough person that way. And so that kind of sets up the thing I want to talk about, which is what it's been like for you to navigate as a professional female in the in the music business. I mean, you, you talked about the misogyny and some of the things that you've dealt with. And I'm not necessarily encouraging you to talk about that. If you want to, you can. What what it's been like to you for you to chart that course to being a wholly independent ar- artist who's self-sustaining in total control of her career, her music, her output. I, I'm so proud of you because I think you've really taken that bull by the horns and you've created a business for yourself where you have true independence. I mean, that is the true uh, nature of power is to figure it out and make it work for you. So uh, if you want to talk to that, because I think you've just done such a great job of figuring that out. Well, thank you. I, I Sorry, I was just very overwhelmed by that. I'm, I'm so grateful to be to be working with you and working with the band over such a long period of time too. But to hear you say that you're, that you're proud, I'm like, <laughs> well, I am. I, I think you're, a, I get emotional but, because it's but, very sweet. But let me jump in here for a second. Cause I, cause I think this speaks to the thing I guess I'm after the world is full of talented people and for whatever reason. And I certainly saw it a lot in the nineties. I can't speak to how it is in the last 20 years, but certainly Katie can where if you take a talented male and you take a talented female, the females were put under a different type of pressure in the music business because they were female. Whether it was to sexualize themselves or whether they were expected to sleep with someone, it, it just, you could tell there was a sort of a different phalanx they had to run. 
maybe there are experiences, and I don't know them personally, where a young male maybe would be put in a situation like that uh, in a way that I don't understand. But by and large, my experiences were watching young females, both uh, not intimately in my world, but like around in the music business. And then obviously publicly, we saw certain situations, uh, more so with the pop people, where they were expected to live up to a different standard or put themselves in a different position. In essence, less about their talent and their God-given music ability and more about their ability to generate interest vis-a-vis sex or salacious types of things, including photos. So can you talk to that a little bit? Because I think you've done such a great job of maintaining your dignity and self-respect while navigating, obviously, a tough business and coming out the other side of that as a wholly independent artist. I have to start again and backtrack to coming from with a strong female role model with my mom basically raising two kids on her own, being tough, loving rock and roll, and basically just taking no prisoners with the way that she had her attitude was just like getting it done. She never complained. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't complain as a, as a human being about things, but I sort of was always tough. And I learned that from an early age that you have to be tough and you have to work out what you want. I suppose the hardest thing that I had to learn was to say no to a lot of things and a lot of people. And that's not something that the music industry smiles upon by any stretch. I've never really been in that position where I felt that I need to sexualize myself. Um, Most women do. Most women feel like it's part of the job to be overly pretty, to show a bit of leg, to show a bit of whatever. And I know I've had different managers and labels, you know, circle me and I've I've just I've put up a pretty strong I'm not going to play that game attitude. And another thing the music industry really doesn't like is smart women. I hate to be that person that says that, but I will. It's much easier to have, say, management or someone represent an artist and speak on their behalf while the female artist might sit in the room and smile and giggle or whatever it is. I'm not that person. I have too much self-respect. I have too much integrity to play that sort of game. I've definitely, you know, I've definitely missed out on opportunities, I'm sure, from the choices that I've made. But at the end of the day, the end of the year, the end of my career, I'm going to be like, I'm happy with what I chose. I'm happy with what I've created. My fans have chosen to come for this ride because of this reason and that reason and not just because of, like, boobs, (laughs) something like that. (laughs) So... No, but I don't it's know why I'm you know what I mean. Boobs. It just sounds because funny. it's funny because it's because it is funny. It's such a trivial thing that people get so caught up in, and I want people 20, 30, 40 years from now, like what you were saying with your Cotillions record. I want people to stumble across something I've made or written and be like, "Why didn't I know about that?" Or, "Wow, okay, this is my new jam, even though it's X amount of years old." Cool. I want to create, you know, music and art that is going to withstand um, the test of time and that stands on its own for the the art that it is and not because of like the picture on the cover or what's been said or what's been done around that. I'm very respectful of um, uh, the bigger picture. That's hard. I know that's a strange, I'm, I'm sort of dancing around it because I don't want to say too much and I don't want to throw anybody or any situations under a bus because what's okay for one artist may not be okay for another artist. For me yeah, personally, a- yeah. It's difficult because obviously everybody should choose their own path. Yes. And it's not a diminishment of people choosing to use their God-given attributes. And if physicality is something they choose to do, 
I mean, there's no mistaking that part of the Rolling Stones' success was people found Mick Jagger attractive. They used to what well, they used to say the women want to sleep with him and the men want to be him or something. Yes, or vice correct. versa. <laughs> so I think I think I'm with you on that. I don't I don't look down on someone, but you can kind of tell, and I think you would agree with me. You can kind of tell when someone's been put in a position where they're given a choice, where they have they basically have to say, and I'm being funny here, so I hope nobody gets offended, where they have to choose boobs above music. You know, they have to, in essence, yeah. put their their physical attributes ahead of their God-given talent. And of course, that's a shame. I, I don't see how anybody, I'm a father of young children. I don't look at my children and think, well, yeah, one day, gee, gee, I get the hope, I hope they get to sexualize themselves so people will listen to their music. I mean, that's not an aspiration for me as a parent. No. And it's no different than when you look at anybody doing, whether it's porn or um, certain types of photography, whatever. If that's what you want to do, well, then that's that's your choice, and that's your choice as an adult. And I certainly have friends in the adult uh, business, and I and I took guff from people on social media for being friends with people in the adult entertainment business. But those friends of mine chose to be in the adult entertainment business and told me personally, I wasn't exploited. I wasn't, con- you know, somebody didn't trick me. I I made a choice to do this, and I was like, okay, cool. That's what you do. I love and respect you for who you are, and that's why those people are still my friends. So I think I think that line is important to distinguish. And I know you were doing yeah, it. the Sorry. choice. It just, it's it just no, it's really me. about the choice. Yeah, I guess that's 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 the beautiful way to um, to end this. Is is an artist, a person of talent, should have choices. And I think the old business, which is slowly ebbing away, was about not giving you that choice. I certainly talk on here about you know them putting guns to my head and saying you can't make videos about ice cream uh, truck drivers and stuff like that. I can't imagine what it's like for a young woman in particular. And again, these are related to my experiences. Somebody who's super talented, somebody who's went to Juilliard or something. And one day they're sitting in a boardroom with some pig, and I use that word loosely, um, who's telling them that they must do something, something, something. Otherwise, people will not get to hear the beautiful the song they wrote about their sister or something. And I guess that's that's my out on that. But we'll give you the last word on that. I think regardless of gender, everyone's going through something. For me, being a woman in this business, I think my focus has always just been just work harder than everyone else and make it look easy. Like that's the hardest thing about this business is to make the hard work look really easy. Biggest thing I can say to other women in this business is you're going to have to do more than everyone else. You're going to have to work that little bit harder than everyone else. Be gracious. I'm not saying force it. Find what's authentic about you and be gracious and be grateful for it. I know that I am. Never in a million years did I think I would be in this position and be working with the Smashing Pumpkins. Who who knew? Who wrote that down and went, this is what you're going to be doing with your life. But I think all the choices I've made have led up to that sort of point in I did the work, I worked hard, I knew music, I understood it, I came from a background of music, I cut my teeth five, seven nights a week playing live, I know how to handle crowds, I know how to handle pressure. I think working hard is a really important part of this. And honestly, I'm just super grateful to be in this position and working on these, again, these crazy, amazing songs (laughs) that... I get to contribute something like I get to contribute a fingernail of of my personality well, I'd to. I'd say it's a bit more than is, a fingernail. Well, again, thank you, yeah, thank you for this. I guess this opportunity and this this platform to share these experiences with you. And this last tour that we we're that we we're on, like finishing at Hollywood Bowl, like you get to see that audience out there, and you're like, whoa. There's no words. Seventeen thousand one hundred people. We we had that night. Woo. 
Well, listen. Breath, breathtaking. Listen, it's all down to what a good person you are, what a good friend you are, and what a talented person you are and musician you are. So thank you for your contribution, is, particularly in the last few years, has been really a big part of the band's success. You know, listen, when you listen to Beguiled, which is the band's biggest song in a long, long time, that's Katie's vocal arranging in the in the choruses. That's a huge part of what's happening there. So again, thank you, Katie. Joe, you want to take us thank out? You. Yeah, sure. Uh, and as a matter of fact, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, you're going to hear a little more of Katie in the song The Hidden Sun off the 2020 album Crier. We'll be right back. It's actually Sear, Joe, but it's okay. And we're going to go ahead and we're going to redo that? No, we're going to leave that alone. Damn it. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Katie. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire part time or full time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. 
You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. back ladies and gentlemen we just listened to the hidden sun off the 2020 album seer it's not crier Joe. a beautiful it's not crier <laughs> i just like it when you pull you learn me. something new every day 
yeah, you when you just fumble at the one yard line, it's kind of rough. But uh, nevertheless, great song, great choice. And I think obviously we had the Katie connection with her being a part of the podcast, which is why you wanted to have that song on here. But is there any other connections to what we're also hearing in the in the Autumn album from the Seer album? Has there is there any sort of evolution from there? Well, there's a couple things that are worth noting here. Um, first off, a fan wrote me the other day on a DM. Uh, a few fans do talk to me on my private account. And they said, am I safe in assuming that all the non-concept-related materials of the band are conceptually related on some level? And the answer, of course, is yes. So in essence, the Seer album is conceptually related to the Autumn album. The Autumn album, the Machine album, and the Melancholy album are the overt conceptual frames, but everything else the Smashing Pumpkins has ever done is conceptually related back. So yes, yeah, so there is a is a connection here to Shiny. In essence, this would have been the kind of music Shiny would have been making before he was put off planet. And if you go looking in the Seer album, you'll find clues for the Autumn album in that album. If you want to get into mind blowing stuff, you got to you got to take a lot Ooh, of gummy bears to eggs. get there. But I mean, I respect oh the gummy bear thing. But was this always intentional, or as something yes. that as you look back, you go, oh, it turns out I had peppered little things in there unintentionally. I started working conceptually on the first album, Gish. I started putting little clues in and people noticed. And that sort of turned me on to the idea that you can have this conversation with a certain segment of the audience if they're paying attention. It would be like if you've ever watched a friend of yours do stand-up and they say something during a stand-up routine, which isn't funny, but it's funny to you because they're kind of speaking between the lines to you in the back row. So there's a lot of stuff in Smashing Pumpkins music that is winking at fans who are actually paying attention. The people who are actually real fans, some people get grumpy when I say that. To me, a real fan is somebody who listens to the band a lot, knows most of the band's work, if not all, knows the stories, really has put together sort of a profile of who the band really is, doesn't sort of take the bullet with butterfly wings exit. It's not to say people who listen occasionally are not real fans, but, you know, in quotations, the real fans are the people who go super deep, because if you really want to understand the band, you're not going to get the band, who the band is through the singles. I mean, that's just obvious, which is why the band live is a bit of a lark because we obviously are playing more of the singles. So the band, as the band really is, is more related in how the band interacts and the conceptual frame that the band's playing in, which Katie hinted at during her interview. And I think it's really interesting and it's sort of a sideline, but, you know, we have reached a point in the band where, you know, if you were backstage at a Smashing Pumpkins show, there is really no delineation point between me and Jack, me and Katie, me and Jeff, or James and Katie, you know, we're all sort of part of the Smashing Pumpkins family and everybody's treated very, very well and equally. When we go on stage, we play different roles depending on what we're doing. But the actual intimate atmosphere of the band uh, is quite warm and familial. And I think that's why you see someone like Katie able to come in from the outside of the band. And I knew Katie for years before she started working with the band, who's made such a huge contribution. It got me thinking, and this was sort of my diving off point that I hinted at with her uh, when we were talking, is let's call it the Siamese dream problem. So jumping backwards, and, and Kyle, jump in if you have a question when you're ready. The Siamese dream problem was the band comes back in 2007 officially with Jimmy and I only in the band. And we make an album called Zeitgeist, which is very dark and dystopic. We've talked about that before. And Jeff talked about it during his interview in the previous podcast. From the first show, it was a problem. Whatever that Zeitgeist band was going to be, the band on stage, the music of Zeitgeist, was a problem from show one. It wasn't like people were like, let me give this a second and think about it. 
The minute that band ent- re-entered the, the zeitgeist of the world, it was like, oh, this is not Siamese Dream 2 pumpkins. This is some new weird thing that Billy's on. It became about me. It became about my personality. It became about my dark messaging. It became about Alex Jones. It became about a bunch of other stuff that had very little to do with the fact that it was a continuance of the narrative, right? If you go on the narrative frame, which is what we're sort of loosely talking about, okay, the band breaks up. Uh, in the narrative of Machina, Glass, who was Zero, changes his name, Glass to Zero. Now he decides to change the name of the band. What does he change the name of the band to? From the Smashing Pumpkins to the Machines of God. The band doesn't like what the lead guy is doing, and the band breaks up over it. That's the end of Machina. The band is broken up. Well, Zeitgeist, the band, gets back together. So it's that character, Glass, seven years later. I didn't publicly declare it. So it's what Glass has to say seven years later in a conceptual frame. And now Glass is grappling with getting older, being fat and depressed, or whatever I was at the moment, because it's a phase between a a virtual character and my real life self. And as I've said before, it's not all me and it's not all the character. It's like a phase between, you know, when Tom Cruise is really good, like in Top Gun, is he playing Tom Cruise or is he really good at playing a guy like Tom Cruise? You know, if you know, if you follow the joke, right? Tom Cruise is the best actor for that role. And after I left that movie, I said, I don't think any, I can't think of another actor who could have been that guy in Top Gun. He's like the perfect guy for that role. Now, is that Tom Cruise the real person? I've met Tom Cruise, the real person. I can't tell you because I didn't spend enough time with him, but I don't know. But that's why he's really good at what he does, you know? And that's why I think I'm good at what I do, however weird it is what we do. So back to the uh, the thing I'm trying to claw at here. Band comes back together in Zeitgeist. A bunch of people are mad, you know, is, is embellished in the uh, documentary, If All Goes Wrong. People are leaving. I mean, think about it. They haven't seen the band for seven years. They go to some gig. They don't even stay for the whole gig. They're so mad they're leaving. They're tweeting. They're throwing things at me. So here we are 15 years later. Over that 15-year period, we've had what? We've had Zeitgeist. We've had um, Tear Garden by Kaleidoscope, which was an abandoned project, of which there's a lot of unreleased music. Then we had Oceania, which was the band I referred to with just me and Jeff and Mike and Nicole. And then we had, um, I believe, Monuments to an Elegy was next which is basically where I told Howard Stern I was my mind was blown. And I think yesterday, as we tape here today, was the eight-year anniversary of Monument. So eight years from today, or yesterday, I was literally like, I can't do this. I'm done. I'm done, done, done. Done Z. So how did we get to a place where the band is revived, back in the saddle, making the best music it's made in a long time, and people are still debating the Siamese Dream 2 band, even after 15 years, still fans are sending me messages because they're mad because some fans still complaining. What people don't understand is that the original iteration of the band, and I'm going to sort of be overly glib here, one of my favorite words, if you like only the 90s version of the band, and you think that that band died on December 2nd, 2000, that's totally fine. That's totally fine. But there's a whole other generation of music starting in 2007, which actually, you could argue, goes longer than the first version of the band. The original version of the band, and I'm I'm pointing at you if you're that person, it's usually a guy, but you're that person who um, only likes the 90s version of the band. That band, and it strikes me because I'm in the studio every day with Jimmy Chamberlain, that band was an organic exercise. And all that great music came out of an organic exploration. This band today is still on that organic exploration. And this band is gaining strength 
not because we're a fake contrived thing, but because we're organically growing. Our relationships are re-cementing or reinvigorating one another. We bring in different influences, whether it's Jack playing bass live or Katie Cole in the studio, whether it's Howard Willing's influence in the studio. We're a team. And just like a team can have an eight and eight year in football or something, and the next year come back and be 10 and six or something, we're a team that's once again growing in strength because what we believe in, i.e. the Smashing Pumpkins, is organically growing and we're getting a rhythm there and you're starting to see the boon in music. The band was never a construct, even though we're on here every week talking about a construct. I've got a question about this. So obviously there's there's a narrative about, you know, where you're going with stories and everything, but Sire has more of a synth vibe than a seer. lot of other. It's Seer. Seer. It's seer. seer. Jeez. Joe, Joe says Cryer. You said Sire. I say Seer. Seer has more of a synth it pretty much, vibe. Actually, than, if you think about it, that pretty much separates our personalities right there. We all look at the world in different ways. Uh, my take on this is, or my question I should say is, what was the catalyst for you to be like, I want to evolve the sound even more? Not just from a narrative, but do you sometimes get bored with making the same type of music and you say, I'm going to give this a new flavor or you just find that you're really a fan of something at some point and that's kind of affects the next album? As usual, you have asked a fantastic question. I love your questions. You're so on the mark with this question. You don't even know. Perfect example. We were working in the studio yesterday on what will be the album that will follow up Autumn. It's very much a rock and roll album. So as you can imagine with cranked up guitars, we occasionally or more often than not, stumble into territory that is familiar to somebody who wants Siamese Dream 2. So if you were in the studio yesterday at 6 p.m., okay, let me take you in the studio yesterday at 6 p.m. I'm playing a song that I like. And when I say song, it's like, let's call it an idea, but it's a song. I'm playing a song I really like. Howard is making his little frowny face. When Howard makes the little frowny face, that usually means it's not that he doesn't like what I'm doing. He doesn't think there's anything fresh going on or would work in the modern world. Let's call it 2022, 2023 world. So Howard's position in our family at the moment is to be the delineating line from been there, done that, not fresh to, oh, that's fresh and something new to say. So when we did Beguiled, Howard didn't make the little frowny face, even though it was a big guitar riff. Howard loves the guitar side of the band. Howard wants more of that. He encourages me more to do that type of music. So why, when I'm in the studio at 6 p.m. yesterday, and I'm playing a very Siamese dream-ish type of song with that kind of guitar figure, is Howard making the little frowny face, okay? It's because I'm not saying anything new. Now let's take you inside my own inner landscape. I like this idea. You could argue, let's call it the Siamese dream language of guitarist stuff. James and I created that landscape. Shoegazer meets American rock, big riffs, hey, we sold a lot of records and we continue to sell a lot of tickets with that type of music. Fans are still, to this day, posting, why can't they do more of that music? So to your question, which is so perfect, I'm sitting there and I'm playing the guitar. I see Howard making the little frowny face. Jimmy's bashing his brains out. It sounds really good. I'm trying to find something not new to say, but something that is in alignment with who I am today. Whether it was today or Hummer or Soma, or Mayonnaise, or Luna, or Cherubrock, that came out of who I was in 1992. That came out of the drugs I was doing, that came out with who I was hanging out with, and that's the point I'm trying to make. Those songs came out of an organic process, like a soup. So can I fake it? Well, 
I did some of that on purpose on Oceania, and you can hear the results of that. And I would argue those are very good results, but they're limited because they're not saying anything wholly new. In criticism, and I've made this criticism publicly, so it's nothing new, one of my criticisms of other bands of our particular era is, is when they go back into the same wellspring of the music that they made before, in let's call it familiarity, you often notice that they don't necessarily create another classic body of songs. Now pick your legend of the past, an Eric Clapton, a Sting. If you notice when they had another group of hits later in their career, they almost never sound like the hits that they had before. Duh, there is a reason, because the public wants that artist to take a journey that's new and takes them to a new place and has something to do with who they are today. That's my opinion. Some people can argue that, and say, hey, if you just made Siamese Dream 2, everything would be great. I don't think it would be as great as people think it would be. So that is, to answer your question, why when we get on the ground, the actual ground of making a record, and we have the riff in hand and the vibe in hand, we kind of look at each other and go, it's all right. Doesn't mean we stop working on it. We're still trying to find something. And with a song like Begowd, you go, okay, that's new. That's different. And Katie adds those great kind of metal Judas Priest vocals in the choruses and all that. Does it sound kind of like old school pumpkin? Yeah, but if you listen, there's no song in the pumpkins canon like Beguiled. I think it's so interesting that you bring that up and that the audience, you know, who, you know, the vast majority aren't classically trained musicians and maybe the vast majority of them aren't digging down into the stories that you're telling throughout an entire album. But at the same time, they can recognize when something's genuine and when something's not. And when something's not genuine, it just doesn't get the same traction as when it's really coming out of your soul, really, is what it, I think to- it's coming out from. Totally on point. You're totally on point. I believe, and I've said it here in various iterations, the public, and I say that with love, the public is attracted to fresh, new, the next thing. They'll pay for the throwback but they won't get in behind and push. Why are people getting behind this band after so many years and pushing anew? Why is that happening? Katie even spoke to it. She's like, something is happening. And to quote Bob Dylan, we're not sure what it is. Does it have to do with the past? Well, of course it does. We're playing old songs. We're still the Smashing Pumpkins. I'm not saying everybody at the Hollywood Bowl, all 17,100 people was there to hear songs off of Sire. It's the combination, it's the organic combination of the thing. Um, When you see, I don't know, Eddie Murphy come back and make Beverly Hills Cop 4, is it about the past? Of course it is. But if they, then why don't they just remake the same movie? People want to see something new. Something's happened in the last 10 years or so. I think it has a lot to do with the way social media works. And I don't, I can't say it in a scientific way, but there's something about the feedback loop of, social media that has somehow convinced people that that's the way music works. So if you can have a show like Cobra Kai, which harkens back to another show, but it's kind of a new take, people think you can do that musically. I I just don't, I don't see it. Look, the Beatles wrote some of the biggest songs in the history of rock and roll. You hear very little repetition from Paul McCartney, John Lennon, George, and Ringo once they leave the Beatles. Why is it? Because it was the Beatles together that made that sound. Whether Darcy Retsky being there and the four of us in the room had an influence, I can't say. 
You know, maybe if Darcy was standing there today, I would go, yeah, let's do that Siamese Dream 2 riff. I can only tell you what it felt like to be in a parking garage in 1992, freezing my, you know, what off, trying to write riffs for what became Siamese Dream, you know, dealing with depression and suicidal ideation and all this stuff. Did that have to do with me playing that riff that day? I couldn't tell you. I don't remember. But you cannot, like, you know, there's a saying, you can't go home again. That's what that means. It's like, I, I wish in a beautiful magic world I still looked like I looked in 1992 and, and I could give you 50 more of those songs and you would love me again and t- pat me on the head and tell me how great I am. The world I live in today has to do with the National Wrestling Alliance, Joe and Kyle and our great team. It has to do with being in Nashville right now, recording. It has to do with my friends in Nashville. It has to do with Sierra. It has to do with Katie. It has to do with Howard. It has to do with Jack. It has to do with our long and mended relationships in the OG band between Jimmy James and I. It has to do with Butch Vig. It has to do with so many things that are so complicated and yet so beautifully simple. And all I could say to anybody is just remember, music is magic. If we knew how to do the trick again and again, we would do it. We would be happy to do it. We can't tell you why you love one song and you don't like the other 50 that we wrote. But we could certainly hang our hat on the one that you like. What I gathered from all that is right now, Kyle, Billy is writing a song about us. I, I hope and so. I, I mean, that definitely hit album. me. And I, I like the fact that he's got a little something for everybody. And it's about time there was something for us. I like it. I, I, I'm flattered. Kyle, you don't want me to write a song about you. <laughs> it's going to be the saddest thing You may thing not like ever. what I have to say. Oh, come on, boss. It, it's already got the title, Kyle's Gonna Kyle. Like, come on, we already got here, the song here, title. Here, Let's work backwards wait, What's from the there. song title? Kyle's Gonna Kyle. No, no. Here's, oh, here, here's, oh. here's your triple entendre for the day. Here's the title of Kyle's song. I lost my shot. There you go. I lost my shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and as Billy mentioned, exciting times with the National Wrestling Alliance. So if you're a big wrestling fan, you're also a fan of the Smashing Pumpkins, you could support the NWA. We're having our first ever live power. It is a live episode of NWA Power coming to you Tuesday, January 31st from the Knoxville Convention Center. Tickets available at nwatix.com. If you're not in the greater Knoxville area, but you still want to watch it, you'll be able to watch it as is beamed live through YouTube and Fight TV. And of course, exciting times heading into Mexico. Isn't that right, Kyle? Absolutely. Uh, World of Vampire Festival. I'm looking forward to being a part of it. An excuse to go to Mexico, merging music with wrestling, folks. That is the place to be. As for 33, new episodes drop every Tuesday. Use the hashtag WPC33. Spell it out. You can follow Joe Galley on Instagram at Joe Galley and Twitter at Joe Galley News. I'm online as at Kyle Davis ATL. And most importantly, Billy Corgan is on Twitter at Billy and Instagram at Billy Corgan. Stop by SmashingPumpkins.com for merch. Also, make sure you like and subscribe, share, rate, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it via iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcast. And if you're still not satiated, make sure you go over to WPC33.com to continue the conversation where you'll find playlists, lyrics, and more of the influences that make the Smashing Pumpkins music you love. Billy, quick Anything going on in Madame Zuzu's world? Anything you want to plug right at the very end here? I think we're gearing up for some kind of Christmas celebration show. That's a that's a Chloe question. Um, the last thing I want to say is um, I want to take you back a hot second. I was laying out my ideas for this album, and that included doing this podcast. And the person I was in business with said, no one's going to listen to a stupid podcast, 33 episodes, you talking about your crazy concept album. So... I guess I'm preaching to the choir, but if you're here and listening, then you prove that person wrong. And if you're not here, well, there's nothing I can do about that. 
talk to you soon. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side side.